Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active word of God, his two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Thursday, August 5th, we are studying Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 23 to 39. In today's text, Jeremiah speaks the Lord's word to Damascus, to Kedar and Hadzor, and to Elam. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Andrew Jago. Pastor Jago serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Pastor Jago, welcome back to Sharp Iron. Greetings. So good to be back. Yeah, even for a text like this, Jeremiah 49. Even for a text like this. That's right. I, I will say, Pastor Jago, that uh, having gone through several of these texts now, that it is always quite incredible how the Lord, through his word, even in sections that I'm not terribly familiar with and sections that I have difficulty pronouncing names and I, I don't always know what to do with, how still through those sections of his word, the Lord is at work to to strengthen my faith in Christ. I mean, it's, it's incredible to say that about a section like this, but, but even with a text like this, we are going to see Christ and it's going to be a word of God still to us today. And that's, that's just a marvelous thing, I think. Indeed. I mean, I wonder how many of your listeners have tried to like read the Bible straight through and maybe they're doing that right now with your show as a, as a help to that. And, you know, I think oftentimes if we get to the long begatting sections, we'll say, in Genesis, or the, the long lineage, there's a long genealogy sometimes. You know, we're tempted to skip over that, and or maybe it's all right to, to, to go fast forward a little bit. Um, but, you know, it is amazing how even in those sections, in just every little corner of the word, um, Martin Luther says you could read, you could pick up a rock and there's Christ, you know, there's, there's, there's even in the genealogies and the things like that, there's, there's always something to learn. There's always something that the Holy Spirit will lead you to, to strengthen your faith. And that is true. Even in these sections of Jeremiah. So we're in chapter 49, the latter half of it, we've got three oracles against various foreign nations. And that's kind of the, the immediate context that we've been in. As, as you think about the context of Jeremiah and this particular section as well, Pastor Jago, what do we need to know going into our section for today? So zooming out, I mean, Jeremiah has two, if you want to say, main sections uh, in between, you know, we getting introduced to Jeremiah right at the beginning and then uh, the little historical epilogue at the end. The first half deals with Jeremiah doing all these oracles warning Israel, you know, before uh, the coming judgment. And the second half essentially deals with that judgment. In, in the midst of that, at the end, really, of that second section, um, are these judgments not just against Judah, but against the nations. Um, so, again, you know, looking at the list of nations, looking at, the word, you know, at all the judgment that is here, you know, listeners may be tempted to, to skip past this. But this definitely ties into Jeremiah's main message. At the very beginning, when Jeremiah is called to be a prophet, uh, God appoints him over nations and kingdoms. Uh, later on, Jeremiah sees a vision of God's wrath, and that's not just against Judah. It, Jeremiah is to take the cup to all the nations. 
And in just about the middle, Baruch the scribe, you know, when we're told about Baruch writing down the words of Jeremiah, um, he's commanded, take a scroll, write on it all the words that I have spoken to you, to Jeremiah, against Israel and Judah and all the nations. So if we want the full counsel of God as spoken to Jeremiah, this is a part of it right here. That reminder of Jeremiah's call, that he's a, a prophet to all the nations, I think is, is such an important thing. Because, you know, we, we come to, as you said, you know, various sections in the scriptures, maybe when we're trying to read the Bible straight through, and we're not sure what to do with them. The genealogies is one, and these oracles against the nations are another. Mm-hmm. And and I think it's, you know, having seen that at the very beginning of Jeremiah's ministry, that the Lord never intended him only to speak to the people of Judah, but to all the nations is so important. And to see the Lord actually do that here in these latter chapters, while we're not always able to pin down maybe precisely where each town is or, or the precise historical context every time, to know that the Lord cares not just for Judah and for Israel, but for but he cares for all the nations to the point that he sends his word to them, I think is, is just a point that, you know, it may be rather general, but it's one that we can never forget and one we really want to hold on to as we approach a text like this today. Absolutely. I mean, this is something that's all the way through the Bible. I mean, just in the Old Testament here, we start with Abraham, who is blessed to be a blessing, not just for his descendants, but but through his descendants, all nations will be blessed. There's also long sections like this where God is concerned, you know, through the prophets and sends messages to the other nations through the prophets. Well, look at Jonah going to Nineveh. Isaiah has a long sections, you know, going around all, to all of uh, Israel and Judah's neighbors. And, you know, th- there's also an Amos, too. We're going to get a little connection to that uh, coming up uh, for for two, for three sins or for four. And God is, is, is there, that's how he introduces Amos' testimony, is the first look at all those nations. We can see connections to this, uh, to God's concern for all the nations, all through the Old Testament. And then, of course, that concern is fulfilled in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. But we're getting ahead of that. <laughs> sure, sure. So we've got three sections again today in our text, uh, Judgment on Damascus, Judgment on Kedar and Hazor, and then Judgment on Elam. Those are the titles that the ESV editors put over each section. And we'll take them Mm -hmm. one at a time. Let's start with a little bit of context in terms of Damascus. Verses 23 through 27 are going to deal with Damascus. In terms of that, and and this is maybe slightly different from some of the other sections. We've talked about, say, Edom or Ammon or Egypt dealing with nations, but Damascus is is really a, a city, isn't it? It is, yeah. Probably a city-state, a very important one in the ancient world. There were apparently two ancient highways that intersected. This was near a crossroads there and a large oasis that uh, travelers would stop at. Um, there's, a, there's a note in the Lutheran Study Bible, which is, which is it gives you a fact that is often in the news. I mean, because Syria and Damascus, of course, in the news a lot over the past few years with the, the large civil war that was had there. Um, and Damascus is one of the, the oldest continually occupied cities in the world. Mm. And so Damascus in the Old Testament, too, and it's, uh, that's always nice when we can make a connection like that to what we hear in the news. Damascus would be associated with the kingdoms of, and we got to be, this is one of those places where the Old Testament will use names that sound so close to each other. We have to make sure we know what we're talking about. But when we hear the nation of Syria, 
that is, and, and not Assyria, that would be a different one. Or right. when we hear the nation right. of Aram, those are the two, if, if you were thinking about in terms of a nation, those are going to be the ones that are associated with the city of Damascus. That's correct. And if listeners have read through the book of Isaiah, uh, right at the beginning of Isaiah, Syria is a part of this kind of international cons- conspiracy that, uh, that Isaiah gets embroiled in uh, and prophesies against. That's right. I mean, so Syria will often, and that with the one you brought up particularly, Syria or Aram, they end up allying with Israel, the northern kingdom, against the southern kingdom, Judah. There, if I'm not, if I'm remembering that correctly. So, again, we as we've seen in other cases in these judgments against the nations, you've got a a history of some hostility between the nation that's mentioned and the people of God and, and Damascus is, is no exception. Any other contextual things that we should mention in terms of Damascus, Aram, Syria, before we dig into the, the actual text here today? Well, just I, the only thing I could think of is that this is one of those sections where we don't know exactly what the historical context is. And, and just to add to the confusion, the Assyrians um, had overthrown these, this area um, and we're just not told what happened under Babylon and, and what happened to fulfill the words of judgment that are spoken against them here. We just trust that that happened. Right. Yeah. Most of the times, as you, that's a good good thing to, to remember. Most of the times we're going to hear about Damascus, Syria, Aram. That's going to be about 200, maybe not quite 200 years prior to most of what happens in the book of Jeremiah. But as you said, we, we trust that what the Lord says is true, that Damascus, this area was judged by the nation of Babylon, according to what Jeremiah speaks here. So we are in Jeremiah 49, beginning at verse 23. Concerning Damascus, Hamath and Arpad are confounded, for they have heard bad news. They melt in fear. They are troubled like the sea that cannot be quiet. Damascus has become feeble. She has she turned to flee, and panic seized her. Anguish and sorrows have taken hold of her, as of a woman in labor. How is the famous city not forsaken, the city of my joy? Therefore her young men shall fall in her squares, and all her soldiers shall be destroyed in that day, declares the Lord of hosts. And I will kindle a fire in the wall of Damascus, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. That is the text concerning Damascus. That was Jeremiah 49, verses 23 through 27. So, Pastor Jago, in the next verse, right after, you know, concerning Damascus, we meet the names of two cities, Hamath and Arpad. Do we know anything about these cities? And then, more broadly speaking, what's being said about these two cities in this verse? Hamath, I guess, is to the north of Damascus. Arpad, I'm not entirely certain of, I'll be honest. I know it's somewhere in that area. Um, uh, again, you know, important because of the, their proximity to those big uh, highways that were there. Um, they're confounded. They've heard bad news. They melt and troubled. I think you mentioned you know studying the Psalms at your church, and it's once you study the Psalms, it's hard not to see parallelism or these kinds of descriptive words, the way they intensify or carry through from one verse to another. Jeremiah does that a lot in his book. Um, and melting. What is the... Be- I-, I tell you, though, this is where I'm hoping to have my iron sharpened on this show, uh, because I came to these, this section with a lot of questions, beginning with the city of my joy. 
Um, so looking at, at the, I mean, these are other cities that are nearby Damascus and the city of my joy, looking at Damascus, whose city, uh, whose joy? Is it Jeremiah's joy? Is it the Lord's joy? Or are they, is Jeremiah sh- having some kind of identification with the people who are suffering in this city? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, that, that is a good question. And, and something that's hard to tell, you know, un- unfortunately in the, and I, I have not looked at the Hebrew of this section, but Hebrew and Greek, the original languages of the scriptures don't have the punctuation in them. And, and so this is one of those cases where you would love some punctuation. Is, <laughs> is Jeremiah here in verse 25, you know, is he perhaps giving a quote of one of the the Arameans there in Damascus in in terms of their mourning that I suppose that's one possibility is that you know verse 25 is a quote that Jeremiah is imagining from the people there this is what they're saying in their mourning kind of like when we come to the book of Lamentations after the book of Jeremiah you you hear what the people actually said in mourning that's one possibility mm. I yeah. I will say I'm not I'm I'm a little more inclined though to go with what some of the suggestions you mentioned that the city of my joy is either Jeremiah or, or even the Lord. And, and the reason I, I, I and again, I, I don't know this, but the reason I, I like thinking of it that way is because we've seen all along through these oracles against the nations that the Lord, though he speaks primarily judgment, there are promises. And I, I, think, I think we encounter, yeah, we encounter one at the very end with Elam in today's text where the Lord will promise even these foreign nations that there will be in the latter days or afterward, there will be a restoration for them. And and we've seen, I think it was in the oracle that was spoken to Moab, that there was even some, some sorrow on the part of the Lord in having to speak mm. this judgment. And and I don't, did you, did you mention the book of Jonah today? Or, or maybe it was someone else that's mentioned it to me recently, but think of, you know, how yeah, the, in connection with the nations, God's concern for yeah. the nations. And, and so Jonah chapter four, where you, you've got the, mm. the Lord uses that object lesson for Jonah of the, the, the tree that grows. And then he sends the worm and Jonah gets really mad and, and Jonah or the Lord tells Jonah, you know, look, you're mad about this tree that you had nothing to do with shouldn't I be concerned with this great city of Nineveh and all the people and all the animals there? And so, you know, trying, trying to tie some of those things together, this matter of the city of my joy, I want to, to hear that as the Lord saying that because, you know, he doesn't desire the death of the sinner. He desires that all would turn and be saved. And that, I mean, that's why ultimately, even though these are going to be harsh words of judgment, primarily, mm-hmm. that's why he even bothers to speak to Damascus in the first place is because he loves those people in Damascus and he wants them to repent. That's, again, I, I'm not sure that, that textually we have a, a, firm, a firm grasp on it, but that's at least, I think, uh, one way to, to say it and the case that I would make for maybe thinking about it that way. Actually, that, that really helps me look at what's before and what's after. And that's very powerful, too, to, that the Lord is, is identifying that closely with the people. So there's no shortage in that area of the ancient world of proud, stubborn people who rebel against authority a lot. So, I mean, even though they were put down by the Assyrians before, there's yeah, the, 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 this situation where they may rebel against Babylon is not unthinkable. You know, it does, certainly could happen. And and as a result, God's judgment is they'll melt in fear. Um, they're feeble, panic seizing them. And despite all of this, and d- despite of the anguish and sorrows, like a woman in labor, 
Um, how is this city not forsaken? So perhaps there, mm-hmm. uh, you, have, you haven't fled despite all this that's coming to you, and you could see it. Um, and so God, it, maybe there's anguish there that, that, that those people who remain in the city, who don't forsake the city, will be, will be wiped out. And that's well. That's where they get the therefore. Actually, I'm still having trouble with that therefore. <laughs> As I, you know, I, I I'm still having trouble understanding the rest of this. Therefore, her young men shall fall in her squares, and the soldiers will be destroyed. Is it because they stay in the city? Maybe, yeah, I guess that does make sense. It's because they stay in the city that this is going to happen to them. Well, that, that's what I was thinking too, as you were, as you were just going through the verses there, that's the way I would, would understand it is that the therefore is, well, you have not forsaken, you haven't left, you haven't fled despite the warning. And for that reason, then this will happen, this destruction, which, which isn't all that different, I suppose, than the word that Jeremiah spent a lot of time preaching, particularly to King Zedekiah toward the very end where he would tell them, you know, if you want to live, you should surrender. And if you if you if you don't, then you will die. It almost gives a similar flavor to this that you know, in warning the people of Damascus that destruction is coming, he gives them the opportunity to flee. But because they haven't, therefore, the young men fall and the soldiers. And I I think the emphasis there is you know it's the young men and the soldiers, those that you would expect they'd be able to defend themselves, put up a fight even they fall in this destruction that the Lord's bringing. Mm. Yeah, I agreed. And then the final verse, kindling a fire in the wall of Damascus, devouring the strongholds of Ben-Hadad, and Ben-Hadad is an ancestral name of, of the major uh, line of kings uh, that is in Damascus. Um, listeners, if, they've, if they had uh, a second kings, that's, that's where Ben-Hadad you know, struck the most sparks mm-hmm. In my memory, because I love the, I love it when he sends um, soldiers after the prophet Elisha, and they surround a city, and Elisha has to ha- open. He says to this, to, to I ask the Lord to open the eyes of his servants, and there's the, you know, the hosts of God, all the angel armies surrounding the army uh, that surrounds the city, and that's just a, I seen always gives me chills. Now, there's a connection that we can make in that last verse to the the book of Amos. I think you mentioned that earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's in Amos's oracles at the very beginning of his book. Kind of, I guess, it's the war oracles. It would, you know, kind of when someone would go and and do some of that in the ancient world. It speculated that that would kind of whip up people, you know, get them excited to go into battle or something like that. So here are these war oracles against all the other nations. And then in Amos's book, though, the very last one is the nation he's standing in, and the nation yeah. of. Of, of Israel. So, you know, the people may have been saying, yeah, God, go get those other guys. And then all, and it gets back to them and they go, oh, no, that's not so good. Um, so, yeah. And again, Ben Haddad being used as a, a, to stand in for all the people of Syria. Hmm. So with those verses, again, that was Jeremiah 49, 23 to 27. This is the word of the Lord concerning Damascus to Aram, to Syria, the judgment that's spoken there. Next in line, and again, you know, we've got one after the other, some several short ones here, all leading up to Babylon. It's coming up in chapter 50 and 51. 
The next in line is judgment on Kedar and Hazor. The first verse of that section, verse 28 of this chapter, says concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hazor that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, struck down. These two names, Pastor Jago, are not are not as familiar from the Old Testament, at least I don't think popularly. So in terms of introducing who's, well, who are we talking about here that's, that's going to receive the judgment in this section? The only connection I could make to Kedar was that he, it was a name of one of Ishmael's descendants, his grandson of Abraham, in other words. Um, and it, so that makes sense, that it's a name that's probably associated with these, I don't want to say Bedouin, because the Bedouin was a group that lived in a different part, a different geographical part, but, but essentially there were these large nomadic peoples that um, wandered about uh, in between Egypt and, and the, the Sinai Peninsula, down where modern-day Jordan, Saudi Arabia, and so forth are, um, I believe. <laughs> um, and uh, and, Kedar, the, the, and the te- the, the, there's indications in the text of what we're talking about. And again, the parallelism. Look at verse 29. Tents and curtains and then in parallel, flocks and camels. I mean, those are people that are not, sta- you know, in one area, they, they travel, they go from place to place. Um, so these are the nomadic tribes that are there. Um, mentioned here and there, Kedar in particular, um, it's a name that means mighty, swarthy, hmm. even the, in, the, in, the, in the Hebrew um uh, you know, looking at the the the, the dictionaries, you know, black even, but black being a, a, a positive, you know, associated with mighty and swarthy, uh, handsome. Um, so uh, being a positive term, you know, for those that were wandering around, raising sheep and goats and camels and um, and trading uh, here and there. Um, so yeah, there's a few mentions of them in the Bible, uh, in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, in the immediate, you know, right around Jeremiah, where their princes were famous warriors, and, and in particular their archers, I guess, were some prominence. There's a reference in Isaiah to that. Mm. Hazor is, is um, you know, it, is the name of, of a number of cities that are mentioned here and there in Joshua and Nahum. Um, but that's not probably what is being talked of here. Again, these are uh, the, the nomadic tribes that wander around and, and trade with the other nations. Mm. Well, and I think I think most of the commentaries that I, I looked at referred to these groups as uh, perhaps Arabians. So, and, and I think, you know, no, mm-hmm. yeah, no, yeah. nomadic, uh, I think is a, a good description that we want to associate with these, which is just as a way of reminder, it's, it's not a perfect move geographically, but generally speaking, these oracles against the nations, they, they started with Egypt in the south and the west. And they've been working, you know, east, north, you know, both of those directions toward Babylon, which is the climax. And so, you know, we've been talking about Ammon, Edom, Damascus, fairly close to the people of Israel geographically. Now we're going to deal more with the the nomadic tribes that would have kind of been between that area of the world and Babylon. That's kind of, I mean, it, it fits geographically. That's kind of the move that's being made here. So... Arabians and and the nomadic tribes sort of in between where you might call it, you know, the, the promised land right there on the Mediterranean coast and Babylon. That's the the geography. Now, one other thing we should pick up contextually here is that unlike Damascus, in verse 28, we do have a historical context here, and Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, is mm-hmm. mentioned very specifically. Yeah. That's unusual. I mean, the um we don't get a little history note 
but once or twice in this whole oracles of judgments against the nations. Um, so the, the, the Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon struck down, so we presume that the, what, is, what is predicted here and what uh, the message that Jeremiah brought to the nations had already been fulfilled when this is being written down by possibly Baruch. Um, and, uh, and again, interesting that it's, it seems to be a warning to flee. Let's go ahead and look at the the text then. We are in Jeremiah 49. We're picking up at uh, verse 28 here. Concerning Kedar and the kingdoms of Hadzor that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, struck down. Thus says the Lord, rise up, advance against Kedar, destroy the people of the east. Their tents and their flocks shall be taken, their curtains and all their goods. Their camels shall be led away from them, and men shall cry to them, terror on every side. Flee, wander far away, dwell in the depths, O inhabitants of Hadzor, declares the Lord. For Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, has made a plan against you and formed a purpose against you. Rise up, advance against a nation at ease that dwells securely, declares the Lord, that has no gates or bars, that dwells alone. Their camels shall become plunder, their herds of livestock a spoil. I will scatter to every wind those who cut the corners of their hair, and I will bring their calamity from every side of them, declares the Lord. Hadzor shall become a haunt of jackals, an everlasting waste. No man shall dwell there. No man shall sojourn in her. That's the text against Kedar and Hadzor. That was Jeremiah 49, verses 28 through 33. Pastor Jago, let's just pick up a, just a, real quickly here. We got about a minute or so before our break this morning. In terms of the the matter of fleeing, because you you brought that out, one of the connections that came to my mind was uh, we've we've talked on this show previously about these sections. You know, there's pictures of Judgment Day, and that talk of fleeing reminds me of how Jesus tells his disciples before the destruction of Jerusalem, mm. "You should flee." And I mean, I think, you know, even within both of those, there's an element, the Lord shows his care and concern for these people. He doesn't want them to be destroyed. And he gives them warning ahead of time so that they would listen and repent and ultimately believe. And so, you know, be saved in a very physical way, ultimately, of course, you know, looking for that that faith in Christ. But that's one of the connections I see here. Certainly. I mean, it cushions the blow a little bit, because it is God who is enacting this judgment. The king of Babylon may have a plan, but he's just the agent of God's plan, who's Mm -hmm. the one telling the king to rise up and saying that the Lord, he, the Lord, will scatter and will bring calamity. Yeah, and we'll pick up more of those thoughts on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFUO, talking Jeremiah chapter 49 with Pastor Andrew Jago. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. 
Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Thursday, August 5th. We're studying Jeremiah chapter 49, verses 23 through 39 with Pastor Andrew Jago of Bethany Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia. Pastor Jago, prior to the break, you were mentioning how in verse 30, Nebuchadnezzar has said it's he's made a plan, he's formed a purpose against you, yet this is all the Lord's word. And, and those two words, you know, plan and purpose there, I can't help but hear a little bit of an echo back to to Jeremiah 29, where the Lord tells the exiles, you know, I know the plans I have for you, the the purposes of the Lord. I think the word purpose is used there as well. I mean, it's just... It is a deal. In fact, I'm looking right at it. Some... When I was uh, installed here at Bethany, someone gave me a, a hang-up for my uh, for my office that has that particular verse. Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's striking to hear that language again. Now, of course, in Jeremiah 29, yeah. those words are used in terms of promise of salvation. Here it's promise of judgment. But I do think, you know, just hearing those words, even though it does say Nebuchadnezzar has these, it, it should be a reminder. And, and we're going to see this particular in the next oracle, that all of this is the Lord's doing, which is, I think, another important thing for us to hold on to still today, is that you know these these things that these things that may look like just historical accident, the Lord is actually at work through them, and and in this case, it is judgment with the purpose of bringing about to repentance. And I think that's another thing when we you know come across texts like this, something to hold on to is to see that how the Lord is at work through history to bring about His purposes and His plans. Absolutely. You see that in these centuries leading up to the time of Christ, how the Lord is nudging, is moving, you know, the, the, the events that affect all of the world, but and, and will especially through one person in particular, and that is our Savior. One of the perhaps unusual things that comes up in this, this particular judgment is found in verse 32, where the Lord says he's going to scatter to every wind those who cut the corners of their hair. What's what's that phrase? What does that mean? Oh, that's a very good question. That really caught my attention, too, and I honestly didn't know it first. So uh, <laughs> good, good Bible dictionaries are great, and I found Leviticus 19, where the Lord is forbidding the practice of cutting the corners of your hair. Apparently this was this was a practice among the nomadic tribes, and it had something to do with the gods that they worshipped. Uh, and Jeremiah actually mentions this all the way back in chapter 9 of his book. This is the reference that I found, chapter 9, verse 25. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all those who are circumcised merely in the flesh. Egypt, Judah, Edom, and the sons of the Mom, Moab, and all those who dwell in the desert who cut the corners of their hair. For all of these nations are uncircumcised, and all the house of Israel are uncircumcised in their hearts. So the external thing that you did to follow the law, that's not going to avail you, but the Lord is going to punish you the same as these other nations, uh, because you're not circumcised in your heart. You're not following the Lord with your heart. Um, Interesting. (laughs) <laughs> Certainly. And looking back at that text now from, from Jeremiah 9, the list of nations there is, is quite similar to what we've encountered here in these final chapters of the book of Jeremiah. And the inclusion of Judah there as well, I think, is is significant because it is a reminder that all of these judgments that are being spoken against the nations, the Lord has spoken that judgment against his own people, Judah, too. And, and ultimately, you know, in this verse, you know, it talks about nations that are uncircumcised because they they may have a circumcision 
circumcision of flesh, but they don't have that circumcision of the heart. And, you know, a reminder again of what the Lord is, is trying to do through these chapters is to bring about that circumcision of the heart, the repentance and faith that he intends, uh, not just for his own people, Judah, but for all these nations. And yeah, the mention of the the cutting the corners of the hair there, uh, you know, probably that's, that's a good reason to take that verse in Jeremiah 9 as referring to these nations here that are mentioned in, in Jeremiah chapter 49. In verse 33, Hadzor shall become a haunt of jackals is the way the ESV reads. And, and Pastor Jago, you, you're telling me that there's some translations that don't don't read quite that way, but they have uh, dragons? Well, yes. <laughs> uh, let me see, who was it that uh, that had that? Um, yeah, back in the days of the, the Reformation, oh, Calvin, John Calvin, wow. his translation had dragons, and I was like, what? Where did, I always get really interested when you see some wildly different, I love it in Bible study, uh, where you have people that have different translations of the Bible, and one is wildly different than the other. And so then, because that always gets our groups, you know, whatever group I'm in, but, but uh, a lot of folks here at church love to dig into that. Okay, why is there that difference? What does that word mean? In this case, now I'm not very uh, fluent in Hebrew. I'm not, I'm not very good at my Hebrew. That was the, I was better at my Greek than I was at my Hebrew. But um, the Hebrew word there, pan, uh, really just two consonants and a little vowel pointing. Uh, but the root is like to elongate. So you, you get this image of, you know, a sea serpent. And, and actually a jackal would fit that, because if you've seen the head of a jackal, it kind of comes out a little bit, uh, a hyena as well. Um, so, you know, there's, it's kind of a catch-all word, I suppose, that they can relate to just anything with a long neck. Sure. And I mean, that's one of the ways when when you, you read the Old Testament particularly and you come across an animal, their, their way of thinking about the animals isn't necessarily as you know, genus species as we are, but are, mm-hmm. are you know, describing the way it looks. And so yeah, I, I did find as, as you were talking that the, the King James version, the old King James version does according, at least according to BibleGateway.com, translates that mm-hmm. as, as dragons. So yeah, I mean, you, yeah. you may still encounter that, which is, uh, that's just a fascinating thing. So, so a, a dwelling place for uh, monsters maybe is a more catch-all phrase that, that we might think of. Sure. Sure. So, I mean, that, that that gives you the that gives you the picture here of, of what's being described. That that the destruction that's coming is is going to be so so great. Jackals, dragons, monsters. That's what the Lord is bringing about. So that takes us through again, verse thirty three of Jeremiah forty nine. Then the final section that we've got today is a judgment on Elam. That starts in verse thirty four. Uh, what should we know about Elam? What what nation are we talking about now? Oh, that's another very good question. <laughs> they're they're not as prominent um, as the people groups that make up the Medes and the Persians, who are there uh, when Nebuchadnezzar conquers that whole territory and encompasses them into the the large uh, kingdom of Babylon. Um, but the Elam, as a people group, is there. They are noticed. They are mentioned in some ancient sources. And what I found fascinating is that the city that is associated with that people is the city of Susa. Now, that was a name I recognized, because that was that's going to become the capital city of the Persian Empire, the group that takes over after Babylon. So again, we're, we're geographically speaking, you know, just to kind of keep our bearings in, in that part of the world, we, we've now come to the edge of Babylon, essentially. That, that's what's going on. So we've mm-hmm. moved across the desert, and we've come to the edge of Babylon, 
before we get the judgment on Babylon in the in the coming verses. Uh, what about we've also got a little bit of historical context here. This is the word that came. It says in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. So that puts us about 10, 10 years, 11 years prior to the destruction of Jerusalem, if I'm remembering right. Indeed. Yes. Right around there. He was the last king. All right, so let's see what the Lord has to say to Elam. We're picking up again, Jeremiah 49, verse 34. The word of the Lord that came to Jeremiah the prophet concerning Elam in the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I will break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might, and I will bring upon Elam the four winds from the four quarters of heaven, and I will scatter them to all those winds, and there shall be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. I will terrify Elam before their enemies and before those who seek their life. I will bring disaster upon them, my fierce anger, declares the Lord. I will send the sword after them until I have consumed them, and I will set my throne in Elam and destroy their king and officials, declares the Lord. But in the latter days I will restore the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord." That is the judgment on Elam. The rest of our text for today, Jeremiah 49, verses 34 through 39. So, Pastor Jago, we've got some pretty pretty uh, nice images here. Break the bow of Elam, the mainstay of their might. So that it sounds like Elam might have been known for their archery. That's one of their their maybe calling cards. And then the, you get this the four winds from the four quarters. The Lord's going to scatter them by those winds. They're gonna be, they're gonna go everywhere, maybe like a Oh, imagine a, a dandelion is what comes to my mind right away where you blow <laughs> on that and it just Good. goes everywhere. That's kind of, I mean, so take us into what's being described here. Yeah. I mean, this, there's, there was so much in these verses that seemed familiar to me. I'll pick up on that maybe at the end, but the four winds, of course, people think about in the ancient world, the four corners of the world, um, and the four winds, you know, coming from those corners, and what better force to scatter? Um, and again, the the words, the verbs, you know, follow the verbs in this section, and God is the principal actor. Mm. This is very impressive, but also very horrifying if you happen to be an Elamite. Um, I will break, I will bring, I will scatter, I will terrify, I will bring evil, I will send until I have consumed, and then finally, I will set. I will set. So now we're done scattering and, and throwing things around and, and, and putting things hither and there. Setting his throne in Elam. So there, there, there's some pride and arrogance there, maybe setting themselves up against the Lord. That's mainly when we're encountering other nations, their pride and, and arrogance that they're more powerful than God, basically. There's that lesson over and over again, especially, I think, of the book of Daniel, uh, where God says, no, I'm the one in charge, really. Uh, so God is establishing his throne in Elam, destroying the other kings and officials that are there. Um, you know, it's a reminder of who is who is the real ruler. So Elam is scattered. They, they become part of the Medes and the Persians and, and uh, until these people groups ultimately are, are united again and they're organized against uh, the empire in Babylon at the end of Babylon's time on this earth. And um, that principal city, the Elamite city in Susa, becomes very prominent, something that's mentioned in the Bible a lot because that's where the book of Esther takes place. Hmm. 
Um, and uh, so there's just so many connections here to the ancient world, but then also there's a lot of New Testament connections, too. I won't get into those just now, but let me just hear some of your thoughts on this. Well, one thing that stood out to me, too, was that progression of verbs that you were bringing out, and, and how over and over again, you know, this is the Lord's doing. I will, I will, I will, over and over again. There's no doubt as to who is behind this, which, again, is, is one of the themes that we've seen in these oracles. And, and all leading up to, you know, as, as you pointed out in verse 38, the Lord setting his throne in Elam and destroying their king because the Lord's king. And that's another theme that's present in several of these oracles. I, I recall it was in the oracle against Egypt, how, you know, Pharaoh was called where to go. Pharaoh was called a noisy one who lets the hour go by. He just, just makes a lot of noise, Pharaoh does. But then the very next verse started, as I live, declares the king whose name is the Lord, Yahweh, of hosts. And that theme is carried through several of these, that the Lord is king. And, and I mean, the Lord is, is king certainly over his own people, over Judah and Israel, but ultimately he's king over all. And some of that brings to mind Psalm 2, you know, where you've got the kings of the earth who are setting themselves against the Lord. They're taking counsel together and, and thinking they're going to just throw off the Lord and his word and his ways. And of course, what's the Lord doing in Psalm 2? He's he's in heaven and he's laughing at all this, you know? <laughs> which I mean, I've always always yep. found, found humorous. And and here, I mean, you, you see precisely what that looks like in terms of, you know, what's the Lord going to do? Well, he he acts as king. And, and maybe maybe one thing that we should take from, from this is that, you know, when the Lord acts as king, and you are rebelling against him, well, that means judgment. But but for those who, who would live happily under the kingship of our Lord, for those who would pray as Jesus teaches us, thy kingdom come, we understand that, that truly he is a gracious king. And so, I mean, that, that kingship of the Lord that's expressed here in all these verbs and ultimately in him setting his throne over Elam, I think is a really a really important theme that's the present here. I don't, any further thoughts on, on that theme, Pastor Jago? Well, it's hard to avoid the law. I mean, there's, there's so much law and judgment. Uh, so in, in, to their pride and arrogance, God is bringing all this scattering and consuming ultimately, but he's doing it with the four winds. And I mean, the thing that just kind of exploded in my mind is, is the connection here to the book of Acts. The word, wind in Hebrew is the same as the word God you know, used for the word spirit, God's spirit. So like in the Genesis, you know, the spirit, Ruah, hovers over the waters, but the Ruah of God, his breath, is breathed into the people. Wind is used when God tells Ezekiel to, to call the Ruah from, uh, from the four corners to fill, uh, but I will put my spirit in them, Ruah, as well. Um, Ezekiel in the dry bones. So <laughs> the, 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 the Holy Spirit acting in the book of Acts settles on all these people, these people groups who are gathered in the city of Jerusalem. Let me see if I could get the, the, the back here. Uh, so the, he's declaring his, um, that he will be there as their king in the latter days, mm-hmm. the latter days. I will restore the fortunes of Elam. So I'm looking, okay, where are we going to see the fulfillment of this prophecy? Well, possibly because that capital city of Susa is going to be the place where the Persian king lives. Certainly that's fortune coming back. 
but they're going to be scattered. Doesn't it say they'll be scattered out to all the winds? There'll be no nation to which those driven out of Elam shall not come. So they'll be scattered. But the, the God's people are scattered all over the nations, too, by the time we get to Pentecost in the book of Acts. And so among that group that's there are the Elamites, um, who receive the Holy Spirit and then go back to where they came from uh, to bring the good news of salvation. Maybe that's a more eschatological way of thinking, the end-time way of thinking of how God is going to restore the fortunes of this people. In the previous program, we talked a little bit about the what you might call prophetic perspective, that, that when you see a passage like verse 39 here in, in our chapter, that, you know, I mean, you, you look at what happens with the city of Susa, for example, and say, okay, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. the Lord is there restoring fortunes of Elam. That that seems to fit. But then you, you keep reading, <laughs> and, and, and you get to particularly the New Testament. You get to what Jesus does and what happens on Pentecost, and you start to realize, uh, maybe there was something more that he had in mind as well. You know, there's that, that further fulfillment or that full fulfillment. And I think, you know, the connection you're making to Pentecost is, oh, that's, this is fantastic, particularly with the winds and the scattering and then the being gathered and the mentioning of the Elamites. And, and I don't know if you, maybe you said this and I, I just didn't catch it, but also the, the, the latter days when you mentioned that again, you know, that's how Peter starts his Pentecost sermon. Now he's, he's quoting from Joel there, yeah. but, but he says, you know, in the last days. And that's one of those, you know, loaded phrases that when every time, anytime we see that, you know, in the latter days or afterward or in the last days, those days, the day of the Lord, I mean, that's what's being called to mind is, is the fulfillment of all this in Christ. So I, I love, I love this connection to, to Pentecost, uh, Pastor Jago. This is, this is fantastic. I, you know, I don't, I was not expecting to find Pentecost in Jeremiah chapter 49, but, but I think, I think you found it there and I think you're right. Well, you know, we were tempted maybe to skip over this section because it's a lot of hard words and a lot of judgment. But, you know, in the end, I think, like you said at the beginning, God will give us something. You know, it's like we have to wrestle with it a little bit. And just like Jacob wrestling with God, we're not going to let go until we get our blessing. That's right. That's right. So we've got oh about nine minutes left, Pastor Jago, and we've we've looked looked through the text specifically. If maybe zoom back out a little bit and, and think about this section, you know, a little more broadly, some some closing thoughts here, trying to put some things together. Yeah, what what are some of your overall impressions, thoughts on this text that we we've looked at today? Oh, I've got a lot of disjointed ones. <laughs> you know, there's a you know you, you look at all this this judgment, but. But still, there's that verse at the very, very, very end, I will restore the fortunes. And the other two sections that we covered today, God wants them to flee, to avoid you know, further dis- destruction, just like he said to his people in Jerusalem. So you know, there is that care, the concern of God, and I think that's the gospel that comes in with the, all the law that we've been hearing. So yes, there is going to be this judgment, but we can't look at that judgment without also hearing and seeing you know, God's care and concern and His love for these nations. Mm-hmm. And we thank God that the judgment that should have been ours, you know, the, against poor, miserable sinners, against our pride and arrogance, against the things that we do wrong, have, has all been taken by Jesus. So uh, that's one thought I have. Another thought is, is connected to um, you know, I, one of the things that I kept trying to ask, you know, as I was going through this text is, well, what was the sin? I mean, sometimes it's not very clear 
in in the verses themselves. We presume that there was a reason that God brought about this destruction, the reason for arrogance, and and to know who who is in charge. You know that God is in charge. That's connected to a lot of the other uh, a lot of the other parts of the Bible. Um, but I caught myself asking, you know, kind of being <laughs> receiving a little judgment just by asking them. Well, what was their sin? What did they do? What, what, where did they go wrong? You know, why did they? Why did this calamity happen to them? And what I thought about, and this was this was at the very end. And again, I I would I would liken this to the Holy Spirit giving a blessing. You know, after you wrestle with a particularly difficult text, um, is I as I heard it an echo in my head of Jesus saying to people who came to him, you know, why were these people killed? And in that context, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, people were killed by Pontius Pilate. And uh, Jesus said, well, why do you, th-, you know, th- he did not say why they were killed, or, you know, if they deserved to, to suffer in that way, as opposed to other people. He simply reminds his hearers, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Oh, Okay, you know, so here I'm asking, well, what was their sin? You know, were they worse sinners than any of the other people groups around in the ancient world? And no, but unless you repent, <laughs> you will likewise perish. And I said, to me, that was a key that, that opened up a door for me to understand this part of Jeremiah. You know, the nations fall under God's judgment. God's word may not tell us exactly why, but maybe that's because, so that we don't gloat and think that we're so much better than, than these people. We've received the, 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 the news of their destruction humbly, and maybe with, a, with some sadness and sorrow, and, and with some thanksgiving, that the judgment that should have been ours as poor, miserable sinners was given to Jesus on the cross. And because of Jesus, in Jesus, God shows his ultimate love for all nations, we hear in the Gospel of John, God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. So we repent and enjoy the life in God's kingdom, uh, which is going to bring us to the everlasting life in his everlasting kingdom. A kingdom which, by the way, will have this great multitude that no one can count or number that we see in Revelation 7 from every nation and every tribe and every language. Uh, that's one of the the beautiful things about that last verse from our text, you know, in the latter days I will restore the fortunes of Elam. That wow, I mean, you know, we we know the promises uh, and Jeremiah though he has a lot of law, he does have the promises of restoring Judah, restoring Israel. But to hear mm-hmm. Elam included in that, what what grace? I mean, that's there and to know that as you said, that's something that we will see for ourselves in eternity that that Elamites will be there just like on the day of Pentecost and and all these these foreign nations that you know we we don't know precisely where they are all the time and and can't always pronounce their names that the Lord loves them. <laughs> And, and, yeah, he's and, got the whole world in his hands, right? That's right. I mean, and it's just, a, I mean, it's a fantastic picture of grace. And the, I think the reminder of, of Luke 13 is, is well said as well, uh, because it is, it is very easy to read texts like this. And, and for the people at the time, you know, if, if, you're a, if you're a resident of Judah hearing these things, you're thinking, yeah, they're getting theirs. Or, or if you're a resident <laughs> of, of Babylon, who's you know, part of the, the people who are the tool of God's judgment. You're like, yeah, we're, we're here. We are, we're the best. The temptation is to think, oh, we're above that judgment. And, and that Mm -hmm. text from Luke 13 is a great reminder that no, we're not above that judgment, that, that we all deserve it. 
and and the reminder from Jesus, repent lest you perish, because this is what you deserve. But the the wrath of God has been poured out on Jesus instead, not on you and me. You know, I, I think excellent reflections there, uh, Pastor Pastor Jago. Uh, let's see one one more thought in, in terms of the the text that we've got today. We've got just about three minutes still on on the morning. This this gathering that we're seeing too. I think maybe that's the the place to to conclude because we've you you have maybe of of the various texts that we've covered. You've got three of the least known: <laughs> Damascus, yeah. Kedar, Hadzor. Elam, some of the least known in, in these nations, but that that gathering language I think is is so important. And, and what a what a great reminder for us that just as the Lord was willing to speak to these small nations, you know, so He's willing to speak His word to to the small communities. I don't know how Alexander is probably a lot bigger than than Smithville. <laughs> well, I don't know, <laughs> but but that that the Lord takes the time. To, to give his word, to send faithful pastors, to send faithful Christians to these various locations so that people from all over the world can hear that, yes, God is wrathful over your sins, but he's poured that wrath over G- on his son, Jesus Christ, so that you can be saved. That, I think that maybe that's just the last connection we can make here, is, is that God— well, Let me just go uh, quickly say that if people come here to visit me here in the D.C. area and go to visit the Museum of the Bible, I think one of the best displays they have is up at the top level. There are, it's color-coded. It's every language in the world right now. And the languages that are color-coded yellow, I believe, are the languages where we have a full translation of the Bible in that language. And then there's uh, a color for the ones we're working on. And then there's still quite a number of, of, of people groups out there that we have not reached with the Word of God, at least in a, in a, in a language, you know, in, in a written language that they, could, uh, that they could have. So there's still some work to do in this world. Sure. And, and that's, a, I mean, a, a, what a wonderful reminder from Jeremiah 49, then, that the Lord yeah. cares about that work, that he wants his words to go out. He, he sent Jeremiah to be a prophet to the nations, and he still sends his church to speak his word to the nations. And, and, and whether that, you know, that happens in the language of English that you and I speak in our own communities, and, and in languages that the, the word still needs to be translated, that, that pastors would be sent, you know, thanks be to God. That, that he loves the world so that he gave his son and now provides for the proclamation of that word to these nations that they too might repent and believe. Pastor, Amen. Amen. Pastor Andrew Jago <laughs> serves at Bethany Lutheran Church in Alexandria, Virginia, near Washington, D.C. Go visit him. Helping us today with Jeremiah <laughs> chapter 49, verses 23 through 39. Pastor Jago, thanks for being our guest today. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. The series on Jeremiah is winding down, but we're going to be picking up the Book of Lamentations next. So if you have any questions, comments, thoughts on the Book of Lamentations that you'd like to hear us cover, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the app and the open mic feature to send up to a 60-second message to us. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.